Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, July 6, 2020. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. And Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? So uh, how was your July 4th weekend, guys? I-, I know we'll talk probably more about this on the water cooler later this week, but did anybody do anything exciting? Uh, I learned that, or we learned, my wife and I, that her <laughs> that my, her parents were going out of town to uh, do a camping trip for the 4th of July weekend, you know, to get away from it all. So we took advantage of that and went on a mini vacation to her parents' house, which seems really lame. But just being able to get out of our house and go somewhere else for three days was spiritually refreshing in a way I was not expecting. Ben, did you do anything cool? uh cool no i watched jaws for the first time front to back in many many years so i'll I'll be interested to talk about that on the water cooler episode i thought you were gonna say for the first time i was gonna be shocked (laughs) i was like yeah i I, I did not leave my house this weekend at all i don't i don't even think we walked the dogs this weekend which is kind of sad uh i i ate chinese food on on, uh, july 4th so that, that that's my what i did 
Uh, okay. Apparently, we have nothing to discuss in what we did on uh, <laughs> July 4th. So let's jump into the news. Uh, let's start with this Groundhog Day TV series that is in development. Ben, tell me about it. Yeah. So Stephen Tobolowski, who played uh, Ned Ryerson famously on in in the uh, Harold Ramis movie Groundhog Day, was on a uh, podcast called the Production Meeting Podcast recently, and he sort of dropped this bomb that I don't think any of us had heard about before. He said that there is talk about a Groundhog Day series in the works. He said one of the producers. Uh, essentially came up to him on the Sony lot and said, Stephen, we're working on a Groundhog Day TV show. Could you be Ned for the show? And he said, sure. Yeah, no problem. But it's <laughs> Ned 30 years later. What has his what has his life become? And that's all the information we have about it. So we don't know who else is involved other than Stephen Topolowski uh, or even potentially him, you know, as, assuming that like deals get worked out and all that kind of stuff. We don't know anybody behind the scenes. We don't know if Bill Murray is going to come back. Um, but yeah, a, a Groundhog Day TV TV series is evidently in the works. So um, <laughs> I, I don't really know how to feel about this. Peter, do you have any strong feelings here? I don't know. I, I mean, I love Groundhog Day, and it does. It definitely seems like time loop stories are kind of in a renaissance. Mm-hmm. Like you know, there was what is that? Live, die, and repeat, or what's the uh, other Edge name? Of tomorrow. Edge of tomorrow. Name. Yeah. It's so confusing. Uh, we had Russian doll, which is mm-hmm. a series on Netflix. We have the, the upcoming Palm Springs, which is coming to Hulu. It's a, a movie from the lonely Island guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, a ton of other things too. It's it, like, it really seems like people are, it's a, you know, it's an old concept, but it seems like there people are exploring it in, in greater depth. But th- this doesn't seem like it's going to be, you know, using that concept for something else. If, if you're going to have Ned Ryerson come back, that feels like someone's going to be stuck in the same, what, Punk Satoni? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it, it's Well, do we think Bill Murray will be involved in any way? I mean, it seems unlikely that he would be the star of it. I could maybe see him making a cameo if he enjoys the people who are working on this thing behind the scenes. Um, but and, and like, I, I find it hard to believe that Ned Ryerson would be the lead of the show, as entertaining as that would be. Um, that would be kind of amazing. But uh, yeah, I, I'm just curious about what their approach is going to be here. Because I, I should mention that last year, a virtual reality game came out called Groundhog Day Like Father Like Son, which is a sequel to the movie. And it was about Bill Murray's character's son getting caught in a time loop. So I guess maybe the this new show could potentially take that approach. Um, I just don't know if that's enough to, you know, really pull people in. I mean, you have the Groundhog Day name, you have the premise built in, like that movie laid so much or did so much of the work to uh, establish that time loop concept in the eye of the public. But it works so well because that script is just so, you know, pitch perfect all the way through. And everything about that movie um, just seems like it was shaped down into its perfect version. And I just don't know if a TV show, which, you know, mm-hmm. as we know from so many shows, like it takes a while sometimes for people to find the exact right tone that they're trying to go for. And I just don't know if it's going to translate well to TV. But uh, Jacob, what do you think? Yeah, my whole thing here is that if they try to make it connected to the original movie in some way by having Ned Ryerson or Bill Murray, that feels like an error because you're bringing a lot of baggage, and we all we, and we know where those characters are and where they ended up. I'm not opposed to a Groundhog Day TV series. Like, I'm, for example, I'm watching Shit's Creek right now, and 
even though that show is not a time loop show, the idea of these characters trapped in the small town learning lessons uh, reminds me of it in some way because they're both ultimately warm-hearted shows. So the idea of somebody waking up and having to navigate, you know, the consequences of being around the same people in a world uncomfortable over and over again, there's something there. I just think that the mere suggestion of it being a sequel series where Ned's back, it's just, no, no, no thank you. If you, if you. Either do something new or or abandon it altogether. That's my opinion on this matter. But if it is Punxsutawney, if it's set in Punxsutawney, it makes sense that Ned Ryerson would still be there with his, what, insurance business or whatever. Mm-hmm. And maybe Bill Murray is like, you know, maybe this character is not related to Bill Murray's character. Maybe Bill Murray is just there covering Groundhog Day again. Do you know what I mean? Like, so he's not in the time loop. He is just one of the characters that's in this world that shows up every once in a while at that downtown celebration. I don't know. I think that there's potential here, but I I do agree that the the genius of Groundhog Day is in that script. And how do you um, how do you you know recapture that lightning in a bottle? I don't know. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Um. Okay. Let, let's talk about the, uh, Fallout. The video game is getting a TV series, and this is coming from the Westworld creators. Jacob, tell me about this. Yeah, this news uh, broke late last week. Uh, the Fallout video game series has been around since 1997. It's set in this uh, post-apocalyptic future. Uh, essentially, it's kind of hard to explain in a nutshell, but it's what if the 50s were the future, but then nuclear war happened? So it's a sort of retro-futuristic world that's been devastated by by uh, nuclear war. And all the games task you with uh, navigating this world. They're all RPGs, some heavier in action than others, uh, where you're wandering around the wasteland, uh, fighting monsters, scavenging, getting involved in storylines, sometimes being a hero, sometimes being a villain. They're very open-ended video games. You kind of choose the tone you choose if you're a good guy or a bad guy or something in between. And you can play an entire Fallout game without engaging the main story, just doing little side quests and entertaining yourself. So the news is coming a, a TV series is interesting because the star of the Fallout series has been the, is always the world. There's no like lead character. There's no main storyline. The actual story hook here is essentially non-existent. It depends on how the player chose to play their particular game of Fallout, whether it's the original one from the 90s, or the redone versions of Fallout 3, Fallout 4, Fallout New Vegas, and Fallout 76 from Bethesda Studios, who are involved in this as well. The trailer that Amazon released uh, uh, has the company, production company from Lisa Joy and uh, Jonathan Nolan, who did Westworld, and Bethesda themselves. So it's some kind of collaboration. Uh, I am hopeful about this because the role of the Fallout, this uh, wrecked world, it's not, it's not like Mad Max or everything's chaos. It's enough time has passed since the nuclear war. Civilization is kind of getting back on its feet. It's uh, people are have grown up in this world. It's been hundreds of years, so it's like, oh, this, this, this is our life. We don't know what, what we're lacking. We don't know, you know, what what the previous world was, unless we're like archaeologists trying to uncover that. It's just people getting by in this world that is unlike ours. Uh, and this, that's always been the attraction of these games has been wandering that world, getting to know that world and putting your nose in business when you choose to. Uh, my main concern here is that Nolan and Joy have this, their Westworld habit of making things mysteries when they don't need to be mysteries. And I'm worried that the, they'll overcomplicate these, the very simple joys of fallout. Uh, are either of you two familiar with these games? I, I've played a number of them, uh, but I'm curious where you guys fall. I've never played any of them. Yeah, I also haven't played any of them, but from the outside, I've gotten like a taste of that that world. And it is kind of an iconic video game world that they've created there. And I, I would argue that 
Joy and Nolan are great at world building. That That is one of the things that they are really great at. I know you are hesitant because of them trying to overcomplicate stuff. But uh, I don't know. I'm wondering, Jacob, I, I saw a tweet from Dan Trachtenberg who was attached. He's a big video gamer. He was attached to direct the Uncharted movie. He's not no longer doing that. Uh, he was saying that this could be a silver age of video game movie development, comparing it to like when Sam Raimi got involved in Spider-Man and, you know, Ratner and X-Men and stuff like that. Like, so the, the, finally, you know, comic book movies were in a uh, finally getting good. Is, is that what we're seeing here with this? And now there's like what The Last of Us is being developed uh, by uh, HBO. Uh, yeah, HBO. Yeah. Like there, there's some like good properties and good people involved. Yeah, could we be seeing that? But also, there's the uh, Borderlands video game starring Kate Blanchett. I mean, it's a video game adaptation starring Kate Blanchett. Yeah, it's incredibly strange. Uh, I, I hope so because you know, video game movies as a you know descriptor has been for decades a sign of oof, that's not going to be any good at all. Just over the weekend, I rewatched large chunks of the Tomb Raider movie starring Angelina Jolie because it was on TV and I couldn't reach the remote and I was too lazy to change it. And that movie is rotten to its core. It's such a piece of shit. Um, uh, so I would, I would love it if, if people started taking it seriously. I think part of it has to do with people like Trachtenberg who aren't, you know, now old enough to be making movies and commanding, you know, respect uh, to some level at, 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 with studios and networks. And they grew up with, you know, this in their lives as opposed to people in the first wave of filmmakers uh, who made video game movies where it's just, well, here's this kid's thing. I guess I'll make a movie out of it. There is a certain reverence now. Uh, I mean, uh, Westworld, uh, it, is, it is filled with the language of video games, uh, especially in season one when people arrive at the Westworld park and there's like certain quests being set up and, and the way that the characters loop over and over again. It, in fact, it is straight out of a Bethesda RPG like Skyrim or Fallout. I mean, clearly uh, somebody on Westworld, probably Nolan and Joy, <laughs> is intimately familiar with how the Bethesda RPG system works because that's literally how season one of, of Westworld feels. Uh, so I really hope that, that, that they understand that, you know, the appeal here is um, getting lost in this world and they create characters worth giving a damn about because it's always been the, the um, thing about all the Fallout games is, the storylines are all always kind of temporary and side to the exploration. So if they can find a meaty story that gives us a, gives us permission to enjoy this world, you know, and Amazon has all the money in the world to back up the budget to make it look good. You know, let's see what they can do. I'm excited. I mean, in recent years, we've had movies that were kind of and TV shows that were kind of video game ish, but not based on a video game. You mentioned Westworld. There was uh, edge of tomorrow, which we mentioned earlier on in this podcast. Like maybe, maybe TV is the medium that video games needs because, you know, you're trying to fit this like overarching story of some video games are what, like 20, 30 hours or even a hundred. I mean, I, I spent a hundred hours beating legend of Zelda breath of the wild this year. And, and you're trying to cram that into a two hour movie. Maybe it, it's having the, the bigger canvas of TV is what's going to finally make video game adaptations worthwhile, I guess. I think you're right. I mean, one of my pet peeves is when uh, video games lean very hard in cinematic language where they, where they are very clearly stealing devices invented by film. I prefer video games that um, are doing things that only video games can do. And the sense of place in Fallout is something that can't be done on film, at least as effectively there. So I think maybe TV is, is the best way to capture that, where you can sort of luxuriate in that world over many, many hours as opposed to trying to condense it. So I think you're on something there, Peter. 
Yeah. Okay, let's move on to Marvel, Black Widow. What, it, it should have been in theaters by now, right? Yep. Like, it was supposed to come out. When was it supposed to come out, Ben? Uh, I think it was last month. Wow, that's crazy. And, you know, we haven't even gotten a new trailer for that in some while. Uh, we have now learned that this will be a true passing of the torch. What do we know? Uh, yes. So I'm um, looking this up right now. It was actually supposed to come out in May of 2020. And now we're in July. So it, it's been the movie's been bumped all the way back to November for those who are, are wondering. But uh, yes, so Black Widow is an origin story of uh, Scarlett Johansson's uh, Natasha Romanoff character. And it sort of takes place in between the events of Captain America Civil War and uh, uh, Avengers Infinity War. And recently, Kate Shortland, who's the director of Black Widow, said that basically that that Florence Pugh is going to become the new Black Widow. This is something that you know people have been speculating about for a long time. Uh, she said, Kevin Feige realized that the audience would expect an origin story. So, of course, we went in the opposite direction and we didn't know how great Florence Pugh would be. Uh, we knew she would be great, but we didn't know how great. Scarlet is so gener- uh, gracious, like, oh, I'm handing her the baton. So it's going to propel another female storyline. So that quote doesn't, you know, out and out say... Uh, Florence Pugh will be Black Widow moving forward, but it, it basically does. And then the most interesting thing to me about all of this is that it seems like this movie, even though it does take place before the events of Infinity War, it seems like there was going to be a coda or some sort of um, mention of what actually happens to Natasha during the events of Avengers Endgame. So since that movie is like the biggest movie in the world and everybody listening mm. to this podcast is probably seen it already i feel okay about talking what happens you know <laughs> talking about what happens at the end there so if you haven't seen it somehow i'm going to spoil it but Natasha, I, I feel like it's safe to say ben <laughs> if people have not seen endgame at this point I they do not care okay yes so uh i yeah I, I agree with that um so yeah she dies at the end or you know three quarters of the way through Endgame, she sacrifices herself. And Kate Shortland went on to say, in Endgame, the fans were upset that Natasha did not have a funeral. Scarlett, when I spoke to her about it, said Natasha wouldn't have wanted a funeral. She's too private. And anyway, people don't really know who she is. So what we did in this film was allow the ending to be the grief the individuals felt rather than a big public outpouring. I think that's a fitting ending for her. So it seems like there's going to be some sort of acknowledgement of Natasha's death in this movie, um, which, like I said, maybe is, is sort of like a flash forward kind of thing from the majority of the action in the movie. Um, maybe it will be a moment where Florence Pugh's character meets up with the rest of the Avengers or, or you know, whatever. Sort yeah. of micro and, and the team. Avengers are like, where were you? You could have helped us in this big <laughs> infinity war that we just went through. <sighs> yeah, that's uh... you were supposed to be the new Black Widow. What the heck? <laughs> that's one of those things that that Marvel is, is constantly having, you know, one of those walls that they're always running into is like we as a company, as a studio, they have to introduce all all these new characters, but then they have to retroactively explain why those characters weren't involved in massive world shifting events that theoretically should have involved every single super, you know, super powered or, or uh, capable person on the planet, capable heroic uh, hero character in their roster. I solved um, it for you, Ben. I solved it for you. Go uh, ahead. Florence Pugh was dusted 
uh, and then no one knew to call her uh, when she was undusted because she's a spy. And unlike Black Widow, she's good at being a spy, which means no one knows who she is. Jacob, that's brilliant. I mean, that I, <laughs> I feel like if they don't use that, that's really stupid because that is they actually have an excuse now. That's right. With the with the whole snap thing, they have a really good excuse for uh, that. That's basically built in. So I, I really hope that they go ahead and use that now. Yeah, that is that is pretty brilliant. Um, you know, one of those characters was uh, Captain Marvel. Brie Larson played Captain Marvel. And we learned this weekend that she auditioned for some bil- big movie franchise and, and didn't get those roles. Uh, Jacob, tell us about it. Uh, yeah, Brie Larson uh, started a YouTube channel, which is going to be about all number of things. Uh, apparently, she wants to have deep conversations, anti-racist rhetoric, and inclusive content, which awesome, Brie Larson. Good for you. Go get it, girl. Uh, but naturally, she opens up her YouTube channel by putting out some news, uh, some newsworthy tidbits to get people interested. And, you know, once again, go get it, girl. Um, she reveals that she auditioned for The Hunger Games, uh, Terminator Genesis, and at least one Star Wars movie. And she doesn't go into a lot of specifics, but we can assume The Hunger Games, she auditioned for Katniss Everdeen, of course, went to Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah. And, you know, which... And that would have been many years ago, Yeah, right? Yeah, it would have been like... um. It would have been right before, right after Short Term 12 uh, with her big breakout role. And I think her and uh, Jennifer Lawrence are roughly the same age. So it makes sense. I'm, I'm, I love Jennifer Lawrence in the Hunger Games movie, so I'm, I'm glad it went the way it did. But I can entirely see in the ultimate universe where Brie Larson <laughs> played Katniss. Uh, as for Terminator Genesis, uh, we knew, actually, we actually knew this. Uh, Brad, who wrote the article, uh, went back and found out that um, we'd reported that. Term Genesis for the role of young Sarah Connor was down to Amelia Clark, you know, from Game of Thrones and Brie Larson and ended up going with Amelia Clark. And we all know how, how Terminator Genesis went out. <laughs> Amelia Clark um, took the bullet while Brie Larson dodged it. Uh, could, one, could, could she have saved that movie, though? Oh, no, not all. Amelia Clark <laughs> is not the problem Terminator Genesis. She's doing everything in her power. Uh, number one problem with that movie is the script, followed closely by Jai Courtney. <laughs> so I'm not going to put any Clark shoulders zero blame there. All it would have done was put a hiccup in Larson's career, which has been on fire, you know, since since the past few years. And finally, she revealed that she was auditioned for A Star Wars. Uh this could have been Rey in The Force Awakens. It could have been Jyn Erso in Rogue One, a Star Wars story. And who knows? Maybe she was auditioning for Solo and once again lost out to Amelia Clark. Uh, what do you guys <laughs> I, think? I'm, I'm betting it was Solo. That That is my guess. Ben, if you had to guess, who would it be that she auditioned for? Um, maybe Carrie Russell's character in Rise of Skywalker. Hmm. I could see as a as a recent one. Um, I don't know. I'm trying I, to think I of feel like that's that a character that... Yet, but. I was gonna say, I feel like that's a character that JJ probably like wrote for Carrie Russell, but because yeah, they know each other and they work together, so yeah. But I don't know. It, it is interesting that she has auditioned. What are your thoughts, Jacob? Yeah, I, I don't. I think that was very much a hey, Carrie Russell. Um, we're we're buddies from our TV days. Want to come play a character? Doesn't show their face. Ha ha ha. That's what that character in Rice Skywalker <laughs> feels like to me. I also, I think that by the time Rice Skywalker comes out, Brie Larson didn't need to audition anymore. So I, I'm thinking yeah. if she auditioned, uh, it would probably be for one of those earlier films. I'm thinking maybe even Force Awakens. Yeah. The reason why I say Solo, Force Awakens could be interesting. Do you think, can you imagine Brie Larson as Rey? I, I, I really cannot imagine I, I honestly can't imagine anybody but uh, Daisy Ridley at this point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, say which one about any of those movies at this point, um, but she is a re- remarkably good in all three of them. Uh, she comes into her own on screen, and maybe there's the whole thing universe again where Brie Larson played Ray, and it's great. We don't know about Daisy Ridley, but 
I'm I'm happy to live in the universe where we have Brie Larson, Captain Marvel, and Daisy Ridley's Ray because holy shit, two great characters. I'm happy about yeah. them both. The, the reason why I say solo, yes, there's that connection of she was probably in the running, the same with Amelia Clark at the same time. But also, like, Lord and Miller feel like the kind of people that would probably want Brie Larson in their movie. She was so. in the 21 Jump Street movie. Am I right about that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. I think it was her. I think it was Solo. That's what I, I'm going to say. That, that's my uh, final answer. Well, why don't you DM Brie Larson and say, hey, I'm Peter Sutter from SlashFilm.com. Give me the scoop, Brie Larson. Uh, she's she's not uh, following me, so I can't do that, Jacob. Oh. Well, what good are you, Peter? God. By the way, I do have to correct something you said earlier, Jacob. Short Term 12 came out in 2013. Hunger Games came out in 2012. So she probably auditioned for Hunger Games before Short Term 12 even hit Sundance. Okay, I'm gotcha. Guessing. All right. Yeah. Which is probably why she didn't win it. <laughs> because it, <laughs> it was after Short Term 12. I feel like she would have been a contender for that role. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, J-Law had her Oscar nomination for Winner's Bone. Uh, but if she had a Short Term 12, there would have been a fight going on. It would have been a big old fight over Katniss. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, a, another TV show that's going to be returning to the air is Mike Judge's Beavis and Butthead. They're getting two new seasons at Comedy Central. Jacob, what is going on here? Yeah, uh, Mike Judge, who uh, created Beavis and Butthead back in the 90s and has gone on to, you know, direct office space and idiocracy and uh, create King of the Hill and just work on a bunch of shows and movies you like. He's back with Beavis and Butthead and going, as you said, to Comedy Central instead of MTV, where it debuted originally. Uh, they're all under the same, you know, Viacom umbrella, so it makes sense. Uh, I guess in this day and age, any anime comedy series would live better on Comedy Central than MTV, which is was stopped having interesting shows so long ago. Uh, Beavis and Butthead, uh, for those of you who are too young to remember, but two raging idiots who do horrible things to themselves and each other. Uh, and I never really watched it back in the day. It was one of those shows that was like Forbidden Fruit. Uh, and unlike, you know, The Simpsons, which is a show I eventually was allowed to watch, uh, as I go older, I was I never got into Beavis and Butthead. Like even when the like the, the, the lock taking off the door, I never opened that door and got into it. But at the same time, I've like devoured the rest of Mike Judge's stuff. I think King of the Hill is one of the great anime TV shows of all time. I think his filmography is really impressive. And Silicon Valley's most recent show, I think, up until the end, where it kind of flatlined a little bit, was was just one of the, one of the better you know social satires on American TV in recent years. Uh, so I'm maybe not the person here to discuss you know. <laughs> To be excited for Beavis and Butthead. So, Peter and Ben, does Beavis and Butthead hold a place in your heart at all? Like, for me, they're just two annoying guys from the 90s. <laughs> I mean, they were two, like, stupid but lovable metalheads. And I remember the show being on MTV. And the thing I didn't like about the show is, I'm not sure if you know this, Jacob, but it was, they would have these animated segments. They were, like, shorts. And then they would cut into, like, a music video with them commentating over it. And then it would go back to the story. So I always found it annoying that the overarching story of that week's episode was, like, interrupted by these episodes of of of, of music videos. Uh, but I actually really love the Beavis and Butted movie. Uh, ben, do you have any love for Beavis and Butted? I, I saw the movie, but I never watched the show. I, I It's one of those weird things where, I don't know, I, I had friends or something who like maybe rented the movie after it came out and I watched it when I was like hanging out at their house or something like that. And that was my first, I think that was my first introduction to those characters. And I remember like liking it as a kid, but not enough to really 
dive into <laughs> into the yeah. world of the show in a significant way. So I may have seen like an episode here or there, but that was so long ago that I, I mean, that was like in the nineties for real. So I, I, I don't have any um, recent love for Beavis and Butthead. No, I, I <laughs> very curious to see how those characters work uh, in, in 2020 or 2021 or whenever this comes out. Interestingly, yeah, remember- um, go ahead, Peter. I was kidding. I, I remember ordering VHS tapes from Spike and Mike's Festival of Animation because that's where uh, this duo first appeared. Like they, like Mike Judge did these like short animated films. I think the first one was like about like had them going to a monster truck rally or something. I could be wrong there, but um, so like it was really like this counterculture kind of uh, animated show, which kind of got a, a more mainstream, uh, you know chance when it was on mtv or were you gonna say jacob so say this it comes shortly after the news that um the character of jody from the series daria which was a spin-off of beavis and butthead is getting your own show on comedy central as well that like has your like you know grown, like older and living in a modern world so i'm wondering if this new beavis and butthead will follow in the footsteps of this daria spin-off and maybe have them aged up so they're no longer teenagers oh. and now they're like 40 year old it's like without lives and they still haven't changed i'm very curious to see if they if they follow that path i was gonna say at first that could be so depressing what what has happened to vivas and butthead like you know what is it like i guess 20 years later 30 yeah. years later but i'm guessing that they probably don't care do you know what I mean like I, I'm <laughs> guessing that the that their place in this world has not got to them and they're doing the same stuff and enjoying it uh i i guess my big question to you uh, both of you is views about it was always kind of like counterculture and always kind of like on the edge of uh i don't know i i, I guess i'd compare it to like uh, like howard stern it, like trying to shock and stuff and i feel like we're in a much more pc world today can can they survive i think if you lean into it, it's possible i mean make a series that's not about them being shocking but about them living in a world where their nonsense is no longer tolerated. I think there's a lot of potential <laughs> comedy there. Yeah. I'm, uh, Tim Allen has some sitcom that's still on, I think like last man standing, <laughs> right? Like I, I think that's still on. So yeah, I think, you know, I think even if they are a little, um, I don't know, abrasive towards, you know, what people, uh, uh, want to see from the culture in, in this era. Um, I, I think there's still room on TV to, for a show like that to exist as evidenced by Tim Allen's ongoing career. So, yeah, I guess you're right. Uh, okay. Let's go to our last story. And this one's interesting because Damon Lindelof is speaking out about the production of lost. And I, I guess Damon, Damon Lindelof is at a point in his career where he can just be like the hell with it. I don't need to talk in the vague, uh, you know, the talking points that we had when we were making this show at ABC. And he's, basically talking about what happened with Lost in a very honest uh, way. Ben, tell us about it. Yeah, so uh, Damon Lindelof did this really great interview with Collider, and um, there's a ton of stuff in here that if you're a Lost fan, I would recommend you know going to our link and, and reading these quotes and then actually heading over to Collider and reading their whole article and, and checking that out because there's a bunch of really good stuff in here. But the, the most interesting things to me were um, essentially he was talking about how he wanted Lost to be a three season show when it started. So he, I I think the, the timeline of events were uh, the pilot happened, the show got the green light. And sometime during that first season, 
he sat down with uh, ABC and had a conversation about how the show would end. And his quote is, Lost was like, what's in the hatch? What's up with the monster? Who's the original Sawyer? How did Locke get in the wheelchair? What is the nature of the island? Why does it appear to be moving? Who are the others? Uh, There were all of these compelling mysteries. And so we were saying, we want to have this stuff answered by the end of season one, this stuff answered by the end of season two. And then the show basically ends after about three years. That was the initial pitch. And they were not even hearing it, uh, talking about the network executives. So basically the show was too successful that early on the network was like, absolutely not. We're not going to actively end this show that is like a phenomenon already after just three years. It's, you know, I'm surprised that, uh, the network eventually allowed them to end the show after six seasons because that was, I think, one of the first big high-profile uh, instances of showrunners being able to talk a major network into um, letting them, you know, uh, create an end date. Otherwise, shows just sort of in the in the before times they used to just sort of peter out eventually, and and people would just sort of give up on the show, and the ratings would eventually dip after eight, ten years, or whatever, and the show would just sort of like end with a whimper and not a bang but lost really wanted to because this is at its height of popularity yeah exactly and because there were so many of those balls in the air the showrunners were desperate to know you know how like what their target could be so they could figure out how to catch them all in the right order to bring this thing down um interestingly he said that uh uh, Lindelof and Carlton Cuse, who I think halfway through the first season became the co-showrunner with him, uh, they actually only had deals to stay on the show as showrunners through the third season. So they basically they signed a one-year extension after the second season, and they were planning on leaving the series after season three, which I had never heard before. Um, he said right at the same time Alias ended, so Lost absorbed a number of the fantastic Alias writers, including Drew Goddard, who had already written some episodes of Lost in the second season, and Jeff Pinkner, who was incredible, was going to kind of be the heir apparent for season three. So um, obviously things worked out, and right around that time is when the network actually did give them the go-ahead to end the show after six, uh, six seasons. So that ended up not happening. Like the, those writers came on and just served as writers instead of taking over as showrunners. But man, what a really interesting concept of like lost being showrun by these guys, like created by Lindelof partially and, and showrun by these guys just for the first three seasons and then having them step away. Like I'm just, my mind is reeling at what the show could have been or, or might have been if that happened. So um, some really interesting things to think about there. You are a huge fan of Lost. I I know I am as well. Uh, do you think it would be a better show if it was only three seasons? Uh, I have three points to, to discuss, and these are slightly long-winded, so please bear with me. All right, number one, Ben Linus may not have been introduced at all or may not have had the time to become the character that he is if the show only ran for three seasons. Because sort of like Aaron Paul in Breaking Bad, I think the Ben Linus character was expanded once the showrunners realized how much more that performer could bring to that role than what they originally envisioned. So if it only ran three seasons, I don't think you would get Ben Linus or the Linus that we knew. And then number two, without spoiling too much for those who have not seen the show, 
the show really gets into some heavy sci-fi stuff near the end. And the character of Daniel Faraday, who is like this eccentric scientist who's sort of there to explain some of those sci-fi concepts to the audience, probably would not have been as involved or in the show at all. And I feel like that would be a shame because I really like that character. And number three, most importantly, if Lost were only three seasons, we might not have gotten The Constant, which is one of the best episodes <laughs> of the entire run. That is the fifth episode of the fourth season. And I, I mean, I guess I'll acknowledge that it's possible that some of the story beats from that episode and, and from the series overall could have been condensed to fit into a three season arc. But without that extra time spent with those characters, I really don't think that stuff would land as well. And those emotional moments, those highs are really what sort of carried this, the show through. And and I think just as much as the, the great sci-fi stuff, um, I think those emotional highs with those characters are what has given the show its lasting legacy. So I, I mean, I think Lost could have been three seasons, but would it be the Lost that we know? Would people be as into it still and, and still talking about it all these years later? Uh, I, I don't know about that. What do you think, Peter? I mean, I was going to say exactly what you said. The Constant is my favorite episode, and that comes five episodes into season four. And I feel like it would have never gotten into the weird sci-fi goodness that I really loved around that point of time in in the lost storyline i don't know I, I don't i can't imagine that it would be a satisfying i i guess it would be more satisfying of a conclusion because they they had more of a plan but i think it would have missed a lot of the stuff i, I loved about the show i don't know it, it, jacob do you have any opinion on this i think the last season of lost is garbage but I also think that the six-season voyage, the journey across the genre-bending loops they take us through, is worth every second. And I think that I am very happy for where it went. I did not like Destination, but the journey was so satisfying over over six seasons where they had the room to really lean into that weirdness that I wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah. And also in this interview, it's interesting because Lindelof is talking about like there's only so many flashbacks you can do for a character. Like you can only, you know, do so many flashbacks of of Kate on the run before mm-hmm. like it becomes uninteresting. Right. And that led to the flash, you know, where they went with where they took the series, not to spoil anything. <laughs> but uh, it, it's I don't know. It, it, it's a very interesting interview. I'd say check it out. We'll put a link to that story in the show notes. For sure. Anyways, uh, okay, that brings us to the end of today's Slash Film Daily. You can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. And write and read this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we'll see you on Wednesday. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.